What is up? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday, and you know what that means. Another episode with a marketer that is bringing it. So many nuggets, so much insight, so much knowledge dropped in this one. I got my man, Scott Vaughn, former CMO at Integrate, telling his story, sharing his playbook of what he did to grow that business to what it is today. I was a student in this one, man. I had my notepad out. I was enjoying every word he said. Definitely, this might be one you're going to want to listen to a couple times. I appreciate his time spent and just laying it all out on this episode. If you like what we're doing on the 3C Podcast, hit that subscribe button, leave a review, tell a damn friend about what we're doing over here. I'm working for it. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I am excited for this episode. I am joined by Scott Vaughn, who is a CMO in the B2B world. His last stop was at Integrate. We got a chance to touch base. I'm excited because I think this is the first time on the 3C podcast we are talking to an executive. And so I think it's really important that we get the executive view of content, content strategy. And I know there's a ton that we're going to talk about today on the episode. But without further ado, Scott, how are you? Hey, buddy. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me. Um, executive, does that carry any more weight? Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, the good news is I think I've done every role in mark, B2B marketing that there is coming up through the ranks, in, including carrying a sales bag for, for a, a handful of years. So, yeah, it's, it's a great time to be in marketing. So how important do you think that is? Um, I often talk to other marketers about that, just like trying every function when you're trying to kind of move up in different organizations and then eventually get to a place where you're, you know, you're taking full ownership of the marketing team. I'd love to get some perspective there. Yeah. So for me, it was more of a opportunistic where you see a need and you take it and it wasn't as purposeful or as how, how long do I can get to be a, a CMO? It was at a certain point it was, but at the beginning it was opportunity that came in front of me. And, you know, one of the things that, that I see today is the dynamics of how we're changing of how marketing works, the role we need to play, which is a much bigger role in the buyer seller process than ever. All that's creating opportunities. Think about when, when marketing automation came around, no one knew marketing automation. So you'd ask somebody, I think I could do that. And so you step in, you learn it, you figure it out and you go from there. And I think content is in that, in that same, same vein. There's so many roles today that you can get into. I'll tell you one thing though, the, the one thing that's consistent, especially because after a seven year run, I'm now stepping back and researching my next role and, and looking for some specific things. And then talking to CEOs, founders and leadership teams, the really big thing for marketers is, one thing you have to have and when you become an executive is that ownership of a pipeline and revenue and, and having a plan to do that. We know it's way more than that about what marketing needs to do for the company, but uh, the more you can do roles around that area, the, the, the more impact I think you can have on the business. Yeah, I love that. And you know, I think that's smart for any marketer a marketer in content or a marketer in demand gen to not just understand how your piece of the pie works, but understand the full picture. And I know we're going to talk about marketing's relationship with customers, which I think is a good topic. I'll just maybe share a little personal story first. 
I didn't really realize the importance of talking to customers until the back half of my career or talking to the market. You know, I always thought, you know, whoa, this is product's job or, or this is customer success's job. But when I figured out that marketing can play a role in talking with future customers, talking with uh, influencers, talking with future partners, talking with customers, that's when I felt like I was really able to level up my knowledge on whatever company I was working at, the problems that the market was uh, looking for, and how me and my role could help solution them through things like content. So I know this is kind of the topic we're going to unpack, but Maybe we start there. Just if you're a marketer in an organization and you're not talking to people outside right now, like what are your thoughts or like what are maybe the first steps you can take? Yeah, and it depends on are you coming into a new gig? Are you, do you have a new leadership? Are you finding things aren't working? You know, kind of where are you in that journey? That all matters. But I would say the number one thing that, that we can do as marketers, and it's built into me, and I think it was accelerated by being in sales for five years, is go find out and talk to prospects and customers. And you don't have to go through a formal, I'd like to do a case study and you know fill out this form. You can be listening at conferences, on virtual events, reading what they're doing on LinkedIn. I'm surprised by how much access you can get as long as you're not pitching or selling them. So when you're doing your account strategy or your persona profiles and your messaging and thinking about content, um, I reach out constantly. It didn't matter if I was in product marketing or demand marketing or whatever role I was playing, certainly today as CMO, I reach out and have a discussion with them. Today, it might have to be a virtual cup of coffee or sit down with somebody and you're trying to get inside their mind. They are uh, typically, when you're asking for that, to, that, for them to talk about themselves, they're pretty open. Um, they know you're not going to write down a story on it, that you're not going to go after, they're not going to get a pitch on it after they open up and tell you about it. That's the fastest way to learn. And then try to bring that information back inside the company and then maybe take a pal or two along with you. It could be someone in marketing, it could be someone in, in product, whatever that might be. But I have found uh, to go direct to the market and, and get that feedback and input, input is so powerful. And then you're not talking in, you know, mechanics and automation. You're talking really in very specific stories about individuals. And that really helps tremendously make your marketing better, make your communications better, make your targeting better. All of that, I think, is part of the process. And I love what you say, and I'll, I'll admit it first. If someone asks me, hey, Brett, would you uh, jump on the phone? I'd love to learn more about what you're working on. I'm like uh, a dog on a bone on that one. Like, sure, yeah. like ask me as much as you want. And what I found in just like my own process is that it's just like in the sales process where discovery is such a huge component in doing the listening. Yes. Like the more you're asking questions and the more you're operating... I hate to say it, but like a salesperson and you have a process around your conversations, the, the better results you're going to get. Yeah, and it has to be authentic. It's a it's a human to human conversation. And this is the point of input that can either clarify your thinking, expand on your thinking, whether it's your whole strategy or maybe just a program you're going to work on and you want some input on it. That to me is so powerful in, in involving that. And on, on that same note, 
once you have that relationship, say you're doing uh, writing a paper or you're uh, creating some very powerful content and telling stories, you can call that person back because you have trust in a relationship and say, hey, I'd like to include you in this story. Again, it doesn't have to be a use case and every detail about how they're using your product, but their belief system about the issues, the challenges, the solutions that your problem solve or where the market's going. So now you've got you know, a network of people that are able to, um, you're able to tap into and you have a relationship or you can validate things with them. And again, uh, authentically, and you don't want to do any bait and switch, like you're going to call up and I want to learn more about you. And then all of a sudden you're going to start talking about your product. Not that anybody would do that, but it has to be very, very natural. And people miss that, that research and that effort cuts off so many cycles and it increases the odds that your, that your communications, your message, your content is going to be more spot on to the audience. I love that. And we're, we're going to talk about just the content component, but maybe something just from experience, I'll call out and I'd love to get your feedback on it. When I'm reaching out to maybe not customers, but net new to, um, you know, build some awareness around the podcast, what I'm doing. I always look at it from the lens of I'm meeting this other marketer and I'm not trying to sell them on my company and what I'm doing. I'm trying to get them to understand my mindset as a marketer and tell them, this is my philosophy. This is what I believe in. And when I try to lead those initial calls, I want there to be some alignment with what I've said about myself and what I believe in and what they say about their themselves and what they believe in. And if there's alignment there, then we can move on to the next phase. But I think so often marketers are trying to jump to two or three steps ahead where the first time like people want to work with people that they like, people want to buy with people that they like. So I'd, I'd love your feedback on that. And that's what I'm, that's kind of how I take myself to these types of conversations. Yeah. And, and so if you're sitting here and, and, and I'm in B2B marketing and saying, oh, great, Fred, Scott, that sounds wonderful. I've got to deliver a thousand, you know, qualified leads in the quarter and that doesn't scale guys. Well, it does. If you using it as one component to go out and understand the market, understand your buyer profile, understand how purchase decisions are made, um, get some insights so that the marketing programs, campaigns and messaging you craft is on, on point versus keep trying to throw stuff out and hope it sticks. But the second point you just made or the main point you just made there was make sure that you have a connection with them and that you are aligned. We're not doing this for our own good or just to be nice. We're doing it so that we can share information with the other person. And, and I have found over, especially over the years, if you're selling into the same basic category, that person becomes part of your network and maybe even a pal for life. I know when I do uh, a lot of my research and work, I go back to my network and get them to poke holes in it, validate it, add to it, introduce me to somebody because you've built trust over time. So it's, it's not, a, not necessarily a transaction. It's more building that process and you're doing it. If you're a small company, maybe that leads to a new customer. But I know if you're an enterprise, it's really helping inform and validating and steering the marketing, the program, the content that you're trying to do. You said something really powerful that people listening might just gloss over, but you, you said build trust. And I think that is something as marketers that we should look at and we should um, not gloss over because trust is the foundation for everything we're doing. 
so much of B2B marketing and so much of the perception is mistrust and we're trying to be gamed and we're trying, they're trying to bring me in to do X. They're trying to bring me into their funnel. So, you know, I can, they can hit their KPIs. And I think there's just this lens out there with B2B marketing that there's just mistrust. And I think just as individuals having one-to-one conversations, uh, being authentic, being real, aligning, like it might, it might not, it might seem like brick by brick, but brick by brick can matter a lot when you're trying to build a brand from the ground up, or you're trying to reestablish your brand. So like trust, like, I think it can't be stated enough. Like I'd love any other thoughts on just like trust. Well, that's the first thing I would do if I'm at a young company is I would, I would overstep in that area to build trust, to get better, to learn faster. If you're an enterprise, you need to do it to inform and to fuel, right? So depending on, on, on what size a company or the maturity of your business model and where you are at and all that good stuff. But the, but the, the headline you said there is everybody in B2B marketing is talking about customer experience and being human. Well, you do, you humanize it by these stories, by the input, by, by not doing it. And think about what we've done is marketing over the last decade. Marketing automation, and I don't mean the, the product, but marketing automation has been incredible for marketing. It's generally got us a seat at the table. We can measure things and understand things we couldn't before. We can uh, really um, add value to the buyer and the seller. But I would argue we've oversteered. One, everybody has it. Every marketer has the same set of tools. And as you said, there's no surprise or delight anymore on the buyer or the prospect. They go on and they go, oh, this looks like a cool piece of content. Then they see a form. They go, oh, I got this playbook down. Here comes the three emails, uh, the hounding by the BDR, and they're going to go F it, you know, basically. (laughs) I'm not going to deal with that. So the good news is we're more automated. We're more data-centric, et cetera, but we've lost our surprise and delight in in the process. So I think we're all in marketing trying to figure out how do we steer back to a better place to where... We have the efficiency and effectiveness and the data we need to be better uh, marketers and more targeted and, and, uh, and contribute more um, to the pipeline and to that effort, but also make sure that we can layer on that surprise and delight. And I think that's where the playbook that I'm developing now and updating, stepping out of a seven-year run as a CMO and building a company to $100 million is now really thinking about how do I put that in sooner? What are the things I can do? And one of the things, Brett, that, that you kicked around is I'm trying to lose the mentality of campaigns because that's on our internal timeline, not on your buyer's timeline, and move more to this program thinking. Big ideas that can be chunked down, things that add value to the buyer's world if we know the buyers, things that can be delivered through account-based programs and, and things that are scalable in that way. So probably fewer campaigns, more content and programs that surprise and delight, all of those things, because everybody did the inbound, got to do content and all the papers. Everybody did the marketing automation-centric model, or even moving to ABM. If we're honest, most people are just taking those models and slapping them on to an account-based model. So I think it's going to be a really interesting time over the next two to three years, how serious we get in marketing about becoming more human, how we get more serious about being delivering experiences. It's not easy. I'm not saying throwing out words, 
it's a, it's a wholesale change in philosophy and approach, but that's something that I'm committing myself to in my next gig. So we're going to get under the hood and talk about that playbook a little bit, but before we do that, I think this is important and you've kind of clarified it a few times when I've tossed some things your way where you've got a, a new younger organization and you've got maybe established organization. And we're talking about this change. And for a startup, it's really easy to try new things, try a new strategy, see if it works, double down. You can be nimble. You can make moves. Well, more mature organizations, maybe you're running an old playbook as a content marketer that feels out of date and you feel like you're a part of an ancient infrastructure and you're just stuck and you feel like I've heard so many marketers say, feel like they're on the MQL hamster wheel. As the individual contributor, like what are your recommendations on how you implement change or start to influence individuals within the organization to start running these new plays that are going to be about the market and your buyer and less about your KPIs? Yeah. So, so a couple of things. One is, you know, if, if you're an individual contributor or working in a certain group, really try to establish that trust internally with a sales leader where you do something integrated in a program or your CMO would say, hey, I'd really like to try something here and try to get us out of and make your case. That sounds obvious, but a lot of people are afraid. They don't want to fail or they're going to, oh, we, we're just stuck in an old way. Or, or the worst thing is we don't have the tools. That drives me nuts. And, you know, I spent seven years in the MarTech space and sold marketing and sales technology. I love technology. But most cases, to get something started, new ideas and programs, you don't need a ton of tools. That's when you want to scale it. So here, you can go and work. And I always say, find a sales leader who needs some help and say, let's try some different things. Because that's where you win. You can, even at an enterprise, you can go to a, a region or a, a major account group or a couple of people and say, hey, we're going to run these programs and these plays, and we're going to try some things. I think that's the way you get started when you're in an enterprise that maybe has a little bit more legacy infrastructure, has very specific process, et cetera, to break out of that. You're right. In a younger company, you, uh, you know, can do more things. You don't have the, the layers and the people and the overhead and you're more agile. But I, um, you know, be keeping it very real. Uh, as I start to have conversations and I'm early in the process, but a lot of CEOs want that. What's the one thing and what's the playbook and, you know, that that's just pushes out pipeline and, and revenue and, and what happens, but, you know, you've lived this all in marketing starts to chase leads. We start to chase them. We get a lot of activity. Oh, look at all the activity. And then we try to justify by attribution and, and it go, it becomes a credit game versus, wow, look at what we learned. Now let's improve in our performance, continuous improvement and optimize what we're doing. So there, I love the, the hamster wheel analogy you said, and it, you have to break out of that. So first is, can you find someone in your organization to work with to do that? The second is, if you look, when you're looking for your next gig, try to find an environment where uh, companies are open to that, or maybe they're built on that. So you may need to work at a younger company or, or maybe a company that has a philosophy that has an 80-20 rule. 80% needs to be on the focus, 20% is on experimentation. And then, then you got to be able to do the work and deliver the data and tell the story and you know, really commit yourself to continuous improvement. So that's the way I kind of look at 
at, at those elements. So I, I, what I hear there is, is don't get caught up and listeners of the pod have heard me say this uh, for some time. I think you validated it, but don't get caught up in attribution intoxication where you're just sitting there getting drunk off of metrics and trying to build your business case to sell internally and spend more time on the front end with the sales team, hearing from a sales leader and influencing pipeline because I've, I've never met a marketer who's made friends with the sales leader and has produced for the sale, sales leader and executives looking down at that says, oh, like, yeah, we should stop doing that. No, you should, it's always invest more and let's do more of that. So I love that. Uh, that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, just to be clear, I believe in, in, in measurement and accountability and attribution. But if you, if you take that and you're co- uh, constantly trying to defend your spend and that's all you're doing all day, think about all the activity it takes away from creativity. So is there a better path? Yeah, there is. One is go from campaigns to always on. So your data is out there listening. Then you can actually take advantage of it and understand what's working, what's not working. Uh, work on these programs and, and initiatives with specific sales teams that really try to unlock and do things that based on what you know about your, your audience and your customer that is different from what other people are doing that's going to surprise or delight them. So there, there's no one way to do it. But if we just keep churning, that's what we're going to keep doing. It's like if you work out and you do the same workout over and over, you're not going to really improve the results. You're not going to get the results you want. I know that's obvious, but sometimes it's just a nudge or the confidence to do it. And when I get trapped like that, I try to figure out what's a different path. And a lot of times that's the field. If you have a CFO, though, you can go in and also make your case, which I think is pretty cool to say, hey, here's what we've learned. Here's our last three deals. I watched somebody do this at a major enterprise, in fact, helped give them data. And then I completely uh, stole their idea, especially because they were going through a change and another one, they were going into a new market. And so instead of getting up and saying, well, we we spent $1.4 million, we did 62 campaigns, our conversion rate was, they had that data, but they opened with, so here's where we are again. We Here's three of our biggest deals. Here's what we've learned about them. And they told a story with data. And the thing about those stories, because they were an enterprise cell, is they had like 36 touch points. And you could say, this is why we don't over-engineer attribution. Because if someone comes in through Google and search and comes to a demo form, they'll go, wow, our search is working like kick ass. No one told you that they went to an event or they talked to somebody at another company who they used to work with and they said they should do. So the buyer or the prospect goes on and looks at search. And so you want to have your demo form up, but don't assume that's their first touch. That's their first introduction. So those examples go on all day, right? Is the reality of how the, the buying process works and therefore how the buyer seller process has to work. And therefore, what's marketing's role? Because what we do know in tech, at least, is that the seller is involved less and less. Gartner has the number at about 5% now. That doesn't mean marketing has to own all of that, but we definitely have to play a different and probably more expanded role. And it's an opportunity for us marketers to, to think different about it. Always tell stories. If you've got data, it makes it even better. Um, yeah. I love to hear that. We could probably do a whole nother episode on the battles of attribution internally and growing organizations and 
why marketing leaders shouldn't set up certain individual KPIs the, the way they do, but that's maybe for another day. Just to hit on that, though, it's okay for marketing department to measure things to understand engagement, but we just don't want to go running around the building sharing these numbers that no one else cares about. Right. And, and that's where stories and, and data behind engagement with your last top three wins in the quarter may be a more interesting approach to understand and then showing some roll up. Here's what we know so far on the total picture and, you know, showing progress and being open about that. So I, I want to get th- this has been a hell of a way to set the stage, I think. And I, I we've we've covered a lot of ground. I want to get into the the content and getting marketers out there who are listening to rethink maybe their thoughts on how they talk to the market or results that could happen from it. And an easy yeah. way to start here is what we mentioned up front is just case studies, testimonial. When I started off in the B2B, I was working on a product. It was always, okay, let's go work with the customer marketing team and try to get a case study, yeah. try to do. And that was my only interaction with the customer or with the market. Now, as things have changed, I've seen the evolution of, of where we're going in marketing and how effective talking to the market can be. So maybe I, I'd love to like dig in and get into like the integrate playbook a little bit and kind of wh- how you, that seven-year plan and, and what you did and the results you drove, because I think that story can be really helpful for some listeners out there that are trying to kind of elicit change within their organization. So maybe just start from the top of like, when you jump, like what made you start to operate this way? Like, where did it come from? And, and what, what, like talk a little bit about your mindset. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's obvious, like always, it's our team that did this and we figured it out together. But so my influence was shaped during the print to digital revolution in the publishing world. And so uh, I was publisher of Information Week, which was a mecca of authorities on all things information technology during the day as we were moving into the internet and the beginning days of the cloud, the cloud that you had. Well, in working in that environment, you worked with editors. Publisher is responsible for business and the editors. And the editors write and talk in points of view. They analyze markets and they see what the trends are. What are the issues? What are people doing? And that forever shaped my philosophy about how to engage, identify, engage, and accelerate an audience connection. And it's the same kind of mentality I brought into marketing is starting with a point of view on the market. It could be a shift that's happening or a change or the old way versus the new way, or a major regulatory thing that's come down that's going to shake up the market, you want to act like uh, an editor. You want an an analyst. You want to understand that market. You want to be able to translate it, whether you directly or using third-party information, but being able to translate and give context to build trust with that audience, to engage that audience around the things that matter to them. And then, of course, through the journey, you're going to have content that delivers on, well, how would I solve that? Or is there a different way or a new way to do that? And your videos and your overviews and your papers and webcasts are going to help support that. But that forever shaped my thinking in watching in aggregate millions of audience engage and looking at numbers across multiple websites to see how that worked. Um, it also didn't hurt that you had to get your own trust in the editorial room. 
uh, as a publisher. Otherwise, you'd be laughed out of the room if you didn't have a point of view. And so that's where the program thinking came into my mind of let's take some key themes that are really moving the market instead of trying to chop all this up into little pieces and little pieces of content and little points of view. Let's have three or four pillars, you know, and then let's go out and build the rocks and, and build a foundation that, that you stand for something, especially those who are on a category creation charter. This is essential because um, if, if you want to be a category queen or king and you want to be able to disrupt, you have to understand those issues intimately and you have to help bring on board advocates, which could be a customer, could be a prospect, could be a marketing influencer. Now here you interview them and make them part of your content, make them part of the movement and the story. And that's how you shape those themes. That's how you bolster those themes. And then core marketing takes over saying, okay, what are the right formats to put these in? This is better as a three-page paper. This is great as a video. This really works in a, in a webcast, in a presentation at a live event, you know, et cetera. So those principles all apply. But if you don't start with the pillars, uh, oftentimes it's pillars of change um, and the issues that your audiences are dealing with, and it's very difficult to do. So, so this all rings uh, rings true and resonates with me. I want to I want to understand going through the selection process. So you've got your topics, yeah. and obviously you're trying to put people underneath those topics. Maybe get tactical on like talking about those topics and getting the people and like the, the how to get people involved. Yeah. We, we interview and we can start a podcast yeah. and we get people on, but like talk a little bit about that, like how to do it. Yeah. So podcasts just as is why we're on it. It's, I give you, I gave you props on continue to give you props because that's a commitment for the long term. It's having a theme and a personality behind something. So a podcast is, is, is a wonderful way to do that. What I'm talking about is first you have to study the market. That's the key thing. And you don't have to do all that yourself. And you may have maybe you and someone on product marketing. And so, you know, what are the big drivers of the market? What are the big things that are changing or that your audience is dealing with? And come up with your unique take on those things and what they mean, what they mean for the market, what they mean for the buyers, what they mean for these profiles that you're building, or even down to what it means for the accounts, if you have very account-specific plays that you're running. And so to do that, the first thing you do is use our friend uh, online, Google, is search for people who have a point of view on these topics. Discover if they fit with your brand. And that's where you reach out to them, say, hey, I read your piece on, or I I saw the, the video that you did on this. I'm writing a piece on, or we see the world like this. Can we compare notes? And that's where you say, hey, I'd like to include you in some of our content. And then you quote them, feature their picture. Maybe they're a webcast. If it's a customer or prospect, all the better. But be clear with them that you're not necessarily, this is not a case study that's going to have to be approved by legal. This is something you want to include their point of view, their learnings, their story. And and that is way more compelling content. And we've all been there. We're sitting there trying to create. Okay, let me tell you how... uh, the shift from AI to machine learning is going to affect, you know, that's not interesting. You want to have the stories of the people out there that are, that are doing it or thinking about it and, and put your key themes up there. 
And so it becomes almost uh, practically an editorial calendar with sub-themes and points of view underneath it, with then formats of the type of content that you're going to put together. You never really need to recreate, hopefully. You always have the core and then tweak it or change it for the format or the channels that it's going through. And you know, own the editorial calendar, own the point of view calendar that you can use. And if you're an enterprise, you can do those for your, your markets or your product lines um, as well. I hope that I love, helps. Yeah, it certainly does. And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on scaling this. I think starting as an individual, starting as a pod with other kind of members and trying to gather market insight, and then you have these conversations and then you're producing content, like you see that it's working, like what's the process? Uh, and this is something I, I personally would love to know, just like scaling it out. How do you, how do you bring people in? Like, what are the things that you're looking for when you want to add um, fuel to the fire? I'd love to get some feedback there. So the first thing is who do people as a beacon validate you. That's where the influencers, and again, they could be a, a customer, a prospect, an analyst, a, a blogger, some one-off rebel who's trying to change the world. You bring them into that. That's how you begin to, then they have an audience. They have a following. I did a um, webcast, uh, a couple of roundtable a couple of weeks ago, and I just let my network know bunch of people showed up and the wrestling and the debating happened. And that that's the kind of thing you want to do. That's why you want to focus on not, maybe not somebody that everybody's had um, and not always a, an analyst because sometimes let's be honest, they can be pretty boring and let me show you the framework. And it's like, well, shit, that doesn't work in the real world. So you need to the part of being in the market is understanding who are the drivers, who are the players, who are the people that other uh, personas uh, that are going to impact your business relate to and trust and count on. And there's a little bit of element as well as there's some fresh faces. One of the things I, I feel so proud of in the marketing world is because we were a marketing tech solution to integrate selling to marketing people, I would go into meetings and go, I'm going to work for that person someday. You could just tell. So you want to bring some of that fresh mind and blood that have different thinking into it. But you're making part, people part of the movement. Your content stronger when it includes, uh, you know, antagonists and protagonists. It's it, you know, it's storytelling at its best. Um, marketing is the truth well told. So you're trying to get underneath it, and practically that's what you want to do. And you can start small. You may have your campaigns going, and you say, "I'm going to try this program," and I can give you an example. Something that was was a I think a big idea. We put a lot of energy at Integrate in the early days because no one knew who we were. We weren't a proven solution. We were a new way of doing things. And we built this program called B2B Game Changers. And if you remember in the early 2013, 14, everybody came out with a list. The best CIOs, the best digital people, the best. And after the eye roll, you go, well, what's behind that? They just, whoever's most popular, it's like a high school thing, right? You know, best dressed. Not that there's not value in that, but it's kind of goofy. So we, we built this program and the, and the Game Changers was about, we got six outside people and we built criteria of what was a great, um, we did uh, three of them over about a year and a half. Demand marketers, marketing ops people, revenue marketers. 
and identify them and they had to apply or be nominated. And then we profiled them, every one of them. And, and B2B Game Changers became something that people put on their LinkedIn. But through the process, we were able to learn all about them. This was our target audience. What motivated them? What were their backgrounds? What did they care about? What were they working on? So it was a huge learning for marketing, but it also was an entry point to a conversation uh, about our solution. We never led with that. That was never part of the criteria. It wasn't a list. It was substantial and it was an investment of effort. But the outcome on the content, Brent, to get back to one of your key themes here is it became, can you imagine a PDF of 44 people in their playbook for demand or ops through those interviews? And then we did, you know, a webcast every three weeks with one of them profiling and going underneath the hood of their world. And so here we built these engagements. We built the trust. We're getting great content that's speaking you know, peer to peer, and all we're doing is facilitating it. And so that was a program versus a campaign. And then eventually it became a conference where we brought these together. And then keeping with the spirit, we had rules like no session could be longer than 20 minutes. If you didn't like the session, you could walk out, you know, things that were right for our brand and this idea behind game changers. And it really, um, the numbers were staggering, honestly, in the amount it contributed to pipeline. But more importantly, and this is something that's very difficult for us as marketers, but five years later, it represented more than 50% of our lifetime value of ARR. That's, that is the young company, but you can do it in an enterprise as well in your segments and do something like that. And I'm not saying mimic that program, but come up with things that, that work. I'd love to maybe close it out with this. Um, I would imagine in the the game changer program, um, at first uh, your team was reaching out and you know trying to get people in. And then the more you did it, and the more consistent you were, then it started to grow. And then people who weren't involved with game changers, who thought they should be involved with game changers, then would reach out to integrate and say, "Hey, I want to be a part of this thing." And all of a sudden, you have inbound interest in this program that you're building. You, you just Obviously, absolutely nailed it. It's, <laughs> it's a it's a momentum roller. We even got PR agencies who wanted That's to the highlight best. their people. And look, we're not a news outlet. You know, here's the process. Here's what you do. There's no. Uh, you know, so yes, that became part of it. And it became part of the industry and it becomes part of being a market and a category leader thinking. And again, that's just one example. And, and Brett, just to underline through this, we would learn and use people's language, right? Instead of our words, which we go back in the lab and we do positioning and we would start to not just use their quotes, but use their words that we were using to describe. And, and, and I'll give you an example because we're all marketers. Uh, but, you know, our big philosophy was accounts don't buy anything. People do. And our solution delivered account-based marketing, but through a buyer lens. And that was all discovered through the, this, this homework effort that became a big pillar uh, of a program that we did a whole ABM program, but not, oh, well, how to do ABM and generic stuff that was kind of throwing net to everybody, but more specific of, how do you deliver the account-based um, engagement and identification while still delivering personal experiences to each of the buyers of the buyer committee? So we had something to put there. And again, we don't have it all figured out. I'm not saying it's easy, 
But I will tell you that is now forever part of my playbook of surprise and delight and um, really having that editorial calendar and doing less actually has more impact as opposed to a campaign for every product. Uh, that, that just drives me bananas because this, unless it's a transactional product, let me say that. But for the most part, we're selling high growth mid-market enterprise. It has, you know, uh, average selling price north of 50K. So it's a different purchase than a one-off. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I hear that. Um, okay, so we talked, we covered a lot of ground, talked a lot about a lot of different things. The one thing I want to close out with, especially from like the CMO perspective, trying these programs, trying these new things, this, this, like, this to me seems like modern day marketing and how we should all operate. It's not going to happen overnight. No. So how do you balance the, we need results because we're, you know, being funded right now and we need to show our board that we're driving pipeline. How do you balance like the short-term results and with the long-term strategy? Well, well, look, if we're all being honest, we know how we can game something for a while. You know, if you throw enough media out there and enough opt-in buyer names and building contacts within your key accounts, hopefully most of us know how to do that. So that doesn't mean we have to abandon things that we've done. But if there's, so do that. Make sure you're delivering at least the right engagement from the right accounts at the right contacts and be able to show that. that that's critical. But there's no magic pill or formula that says, well, then this is how they convert. The only way I seem to do that consistently is to try to do things a bit differently. And that's surprise and delight. There are always exceptions. I'm going to pick on these guys because I think they're magic. But when you're snowflake and you hit product market fit skid, and it is just such a great way to think about it, it's, it's better to market. It's easier. Now they have a scale problem. They have you know, nine different products and regions around the world. But think about that is the exception. For the most part, you can do a more tried and true ability to deliver qualified leads. Um, and you're always negotiating with your CFO and sales leader um, in that effort to, to what's reasonable, how big's the market and all those things. But if you don't begin to make the move and think about surprise and delight and think about uh, bigger, more scalable, impactful ways, you're gonna be stuck chasing M2Ls for the company, for your career. And it's just something with a rare exception that you can ever win. Um, and that's why one of my philosophies, all these smart people come in for demand, they're there a year, year and a half, they get recruited out. The system's all set up, but the system's set up on automated and it doesn't have necessarily the element of surprise and delight. It, it's the engine that's running underneath, but the engine is only good as, as the fuel and the scenery and all the things that you need to make it you know, an experience in something different. So hopefully my analogies uh, sit home with some people. Um, again, big believer in technology, huge believer in data, huge believer in accountability. None of that gets lost, but without this other layer, to me, it's much harder to deliver on those other elements. You can't technologize your way to uh, success. Um, and that comes from someone who, who marketed and sold marketing and sales technology. So, so many analogies that were really good. And I had the visualizations running in my head and have experienced those things in the past. 
Scott, there was a ton of uh, insight and knowledge dropped on this one. I really appreciate it. You are a marketer. And before you get out of here, plug something, something you're working on where people can find you. Just plug something. Plug. I like that term. Uh, well, hey, I uh, stepped off the rocket ship that is integrated a couple of months ago, and I'm honestly doing deep research now and writing, rewriting a CMO playbook. And, and uh, I'll be looking in the fall for the right company and markets to go and apply again. But I'm on LinkedIn, Scott Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-A-N. Love to connect with you. Love to have a conversation. I'm, I'm in the always learning mode, but um, that's where I am today. And um, I'm excited for you and what you guys are building. And I love that you uh, took the leap with the podcast. And I love the authenticity of what you're doing, Brett. So I'll be rooting for you and helping you any way I can. Much appreciated, Scott. You you said a bunch of different things that I wanted to go deep on, but maybe we'll save that for another episode. And maybe it will be a time when you're at your brand new company. So oh boy. Can't, yep. <laughs> can't, can't play, wait to talk. The playbook to has to turn into a real book, right? That's that's right. Yeah. Uh, all right, Scott, I'll let you get out of here. Thanks so much. All right, Brett. Take care, Ben. That was incredible and a lot of validation for some of my ideas and things that I'm thinking through over here at The Juice. Thank you so much, Scott, man. I appreciate that. Hopefully, we can get you back on. If you like what you heard here, hit that subscribe button. Tell me how I'm doing. Tell a friend about the pod. And if you're not already, go to The Juice HQ, sign up for free, and enjoy your frictionless content experience. Enjoy the weekend. You earned it. I'll be back next week with more 3C Podcasts.